You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, glad you're here. I think it's going to be like 100 degrees or something like that or close to it. But before, I had to remind myself, before I start whining about it, in like five months we'll be whining about the wind and the cold and all that fun stuff. So if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you're visiting with us today, we, just, we believe that the Bible is authoritative. It is the Word of God. That's why we ask for you to stand to honor the reading of it. And the reason why you sit is because I have nothing better to offer you than what's in this book. And so uh, when we read the, the, the very words from the pages of Scripture, we believe with, as, a, as a leadership in the church, as a congregation, we believe that you hear the very voice of God through these pages. And so beginning with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. So last week I was, I was supposed to preach a sermon, and uh, we said farewell to Brian, the Standerwicks, Brian and Ashley and their kids. Uh, they are uh, soon to find their way in Wisconsin. And by the way, if you're wondering, if you missed last week and if you're wondering uh, how you can support them, we're still taking um, uh, the love offering. I mean, we're not co collecting a basket now, but if you do like a, if you write on a check or on an envelope for, you know, Brian and Ashley or the Standerwicks, that money will go towards their church plant that they'll be uh, planting in April. So, so, that's why, they're, that's why they're going to Wisconsin, part of the reason. So, um, but we're in the Beatitudes, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this is a, just to kind of as a recap, the first three Beatitudes, I said were Beatitudes of, uh, of need, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then, you know, blessed are the, uh, the, those who mourn, and blessed are the, the, the meek, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, who come to the cross with empty hands, realizing that there's no righteousness in of their own uh, ability to, to, to warrant their way into heaven, to gain God's approval. They, they come with empty hands, 
because the only righteousness that is available to them is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then blessed are those uh, who mourn. Mourn over what? Mourn over their sin. Mourn over the curse of sin in the world and why the world is upside down. Uh, but blessed are, are, are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, how are they comforted? They're comforted through uh, Jesus Christ, the one who, who is, is the guarantee to reverse all that is wrong with this world one day. And then blessed are the meek. Those are the people who, when not only do they come to the cross with open and empty hands, not only do they come mourning over their sin, but they come humbled, willing to bow to the will of God, to submit themselves to the will of God. And, and as they do that, they hunger and thirst for a righteousness that only Jesus Christ could provide, that he's provided on the cross. That is what the Christian looks like. That is, that is what it looks like to come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no genuine, true Christian who, is a, who, who will stand before God on the judgment day who has not arrived at the foot of the cross with empty hands, who, who has not arrived at the foot of the cross with, with, uh, with you know, mourning over their sin, who has not arrived at the foot of, cross, at the, foot of the cross submitting their will to the will of the Father, to the will of God. So that's just kind of where we've been. And then, uh, then you have these beatitudes of, of action. So we, the, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first of the three, which says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, what does that mean? Blessed are the merciful who recognize and appreciate the great mercy that they experienced as a result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We all deserve hell. I mean, that's the, the testament of the Bible. We run from God like a thief runs from a cop. We're born at odds with God. There's nothing good in us. We deserve his wrath. But God, if you're a Christian this morning, God has given you mercy says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, that's Ephesians chapter 2, being rich in mercy, rescued us and made us alive together in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and so, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The evidence of saving faith is a, is a willingness to forgive in light of the great sin that, that you've been forgiven of. And then we come to, you know, this next one. Blessed are the poor, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that's where we're at. I just want to just, as I, think, I thought about this, as I've been thinking about, you know, what, what this means, what, what, what does this mean for us, what, what, does, it, what does it mean to, to be pure in heart so that we could see God? What does that mean? Well, it means that God looks at the inside. He looks at the inner parts of us. He, he sees who we really are. Like I said during the baby dedication, we are who we are when nobody's looking. And, and if you've come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what is happening to you is you are changing. You are, God is molding and shaping you. The Bible says he's given you a new heart. And when he talks about heart here, he's, it's who we are. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's just everything about us. 
It's not just, he's not talking about the organ that's, that pumps blood. He's talking about our, the, the, the seat of our emotions, of our cognitive ability, all those things. <clears throat> and I was thinking about that <clears throat> in light of how we measure success in, in the American church. You know, I, in my manuscript, I call it the, the elephant in the evangelical room. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there have been a number of high-profile pastors who have fallen morally. Um, one of the guys who has such a profound influence in my life, I've read, I probably read like four or five of his books. I listened to almost every talk that he gave was a guy by the name of Ravi Zacharias. And we, we, we assume that just because what they're saying sounds good and what they're doing looks good and everything from the outside seems to be okay, that, that God's hand of approval is upon that person. I, I was listening to um, a talk, uh, that, uh, an interview that Tim Keller, another pastor I really like and admire, was, was giving. He was being interviewed by uh, somebody, and he had shared his story in that interview uh, about meeting with a pastor who had carried on a long-term affair, and Tim Keller asked him, well, how were you able to preach every Sunday while you, while you were engaging in this affair? And, and he said, well, on Friday, I would resign my, in my heart that I was going to end the relationship with this, with this woman, and I, I, and I felt sorry about this, and, and I, I committed myself to that. And then I would write my sermon Friday afternoon into Saturday, and then I would preach on Sunday, and I would see people crying. And people, you know, there were people who gave their lives to Jesus as a result, and the church was growing. So I assumed, I assumed that God's hand of approval was upon my life, and then I forgot about what I told him on Friday and just repeated the cycle. And in the church, and this is not, a, I'm not spanking Meadowbrook or the evangelical church, I'm just calling out what is the thing that's, that, that's happening in the evangelical church. If the music is great, and if the pastor communicates well, and he's easy to listen to, or, 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 people, or the church is growing and, and, and lives are being transformed, we assume, based on what we see, that everything on the inside is okay. And Jesus tells us here in this beatitude, and he'll unpack this in his Sermon on the Mount, is that God looks at the heart. Now this is not something new, right? That, that people that belong to God have a tendency to do. And that is, they tend to look at the outside and make a judgment call on that person's character based on what they see. Because they did that with King Saul. If you remember the story in the Bible, there was a king by the name of Saul, and the, the Hebrew people wanted a king to lead them. And it wasn't that, the request wasn't that they wanted something God didn't want for them. God had, in, you know, long, a long time ago, a long time before they actually made the request, God said that there would be a king who would rule over them. But it was the motive for which they wanted the king they wanted a king because they wanted to be like all the other kingdoms. They wanted a king who could lead them like the other kings because they assumed because if you had a skillful warrior, if you had a, a person that looked the part, 
then it would go well for the rest of the kingdom. So they chose Saul, or they wanted Saul. He was tall, he was, he was handsome, he looked strong. And so he was anointed as king. And what we learned from that story is Saul was a train wreck emotionally and spiritually. He was a mess. And God had withdrew his uh, anointing from King Saul and, and uh, said that he would select another king. So the prophet Samuel was told to go to this house, uh, the home of Jesse, and, and you know, anoint one of his sons there. And so we learn from the story that uh, Jesse brought all of the, the sons that looked the part of the king. They were strong, they were tall, they, they were older, they seemed to may, maybe be a little more wise. And each, per, each son that came across Samuel the prophet, God said, that's not the one. And then and the other son would come by, and that's not the one. And then finally got to the point where Samuel said, well, who? Do you have another son, Jesse? And Jesse said, well, yeah. yeah. He's out with the sheep. Yeah, I mean, really? Is that what? So they bring David before, before Samuel, and God said, that's the one. And David didn't fit, fit the mold. And, with that, and this is what the Lord said to Samuel. He said, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying here, that if you, come to, if you come to the cross as one who is poor in spirit, if you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, one who is mourning over your sin, if you come to the foot of the cross as one who submits your will to the will of the God of all creation then you're going to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that you know is not your own, that, is Jesus, that belongs to Jesus. And what's going to happen as a result is your life is going to be transformed. You're going to go from being dead to being spiritually alive. You're going to, be go, you're going to go from being an old creature to being a new creation. And the evidence that there's this life, this spiritual life flowing through your spiritual veins is you're going to be a person who's willing to forgive others, and you're going to be a person who's going to seek holiness. You're going to be a person who, who will grow, uh, what's the word, will grow disgusted over your own sin. It doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning. What it does mean is you're going to be frustrated with your sin. You're going to, you're going to ask some of the same questions the Apostle Paul asked. You know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why can't I do the things I want to do? Like, you're going to ask those questions. So, you know, we can confuse the seeming success of the fruit of a nation like ours, uh, an organization, a church, a person, we can, confuse, we can confuse their successes as being evidence that the hand of God is upon them when the hand of God is not. We have a tendency, this is the elephant in the evangelical room, we have a tendency to, to base somebody's talents and skill to, to use that as a way of measuring their spiritual depth. Does that make sense? 
And so Jesus said, no, it's, it's the pure in heart. I was thinking of Jeremiah the prophet. You want to know how many converts Jer- Jeremiah the prophet had in, in, in his ministry? Zero. <laughs> and yet the hand of God was clearly upon him. Uh, this was a problem in Jesus' day. There were religious leaders who had gone to some of the best, you know, it would be the equivalent of our seminaries or our Bible colleges, went to some of the best places to learn the Bible. These guys, the Pharisees, uh, had the, their Bible, the Old Testament, much of it memorized, if not all of it. They had spent years studying the Scriptures. And the, and the way people you know, looked upon them, they looked upon them with reverence and Wow, I wish I could be like the Pharisees one day. And Jesus said this about the Pharisees of his day. I don't think this was true of every single Pharisee, but it was certainly true of a number of them. And he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I wonder if Jesus would say the same thing to some of us today. You know, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. And, and the world, and every religion in the world will tell you, except for the Christian faith in its purest form, will tell you you need to do, 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 do to earn the approval of this deity or this God. And, and the Christian faith in its purest form says you can't do anything <laughs> right you need a righteousness that only God could provide through his, and he did provide it through his son, Jesus Christ. And you need, to be, you need to experience a change that you're incapable of manufacturing on, on, on your own, in your own power, a change that only God can do through you supernaturally. And, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, when he used the phrase being born again. To be born again is to go from being dead to being alive. And so I just want to, um, in 15 minutes, <laughs> I want to uh, just look at two things here. Who are the pure in heart? Yeah, I said earlier, the heart is, the, is what the person is. When we, when we read about the heart in the Bible here, in the context of the Beatitudes, the heart is who the person is. Jesus is not saying here, I don't think, you know, that this person is sinless. He's saying this person has, is, a, is a person who hungers and thirsts for a righteousness that can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. The heart is who you really are. It's the center of who you are intellectually. It's the center of who you are emotionally. And uh, here's a kind of a big word, volitionally, uh, your, your will. It's, the, it's who you are as, as a whole person. That's why Jesus said, and we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 also, he said, uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole being. He's talking about your intellect, your heart, your will. You know, you're submitting to the will of, of, of God the Father. 
Um, the heart is the part of mankind that is an utter mess. So I said this a couple weeks ago. The reason why the world is upside down is because our hearts are a mess. We are, you know, we are, we are like night of the living dead spiritually. We are, you know, I'm, when I say we, I'm talking about the human race. That apart from Jesus Christ, we are, uh, we are dead spiritually, even though we're walking. You know, in Genesis chapter 6, right before he flooded the earth, God said, or we, we learn of this, that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was what? Evil, continually. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, he said, for out of the heart, what? Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and much more. And the promise that God made throughout, through every generation leading up to Jesus' birth is that he would do something about that. There's a promise in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Let's read this together, ready? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and, with all, and all that you may live. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Yeah, that you may live. Um, that's why, I, I, you know, when I prayed for Mateo, I prayed that the Lord will circumcise his heart. Prayed that for my own boys, you know, when they were little babies. Uh, every baby dedication, I pray that for, for the infant. Um, this is a promise. This is a promise that Jesus came to fulfill. There's another promise like it. It's, it's found in Ezekiel 36, and it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a, what? A new heart and a, what? New spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of, what? Stone, right? From your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Why? So that it could beat for him. So that spiritually we could beat for him. And, and the result of new birth, the result of a new life that, that can only be, that's only capable through Jesus Christ is to breathe spiritually. What happens with every baby that's born, that's alive? They breathe, right? I mean, the doctor might need to pat the baby on the back or do a little work to get the baby. But what does the baby do? He or she breathes. As, as, and the result of new birth is that we breathe. What do we breathe? We breathe God. <laughs> uh, what do we hunger for? <sighs> Righteousness that can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And then there's another passage that Jesus came to fulfill. Uh, I will give them a, one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. It's called the new covenant, by the way that I will not turn away from, do, from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. When Jesus held up the cup right before he was about to be crucified, he said, this is the new covenant that is in my blood. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to make this heart change possible through what I'm about to do on the cross. To have a pure heart is to have a clean heart that is able to respond to God in love. To respond to him, to, to him in love. And uh, 
Jesus' primary concern for you and for me is not our safety or comfort, but our heart. Our heart. He wants your heart. And when you come to him with empty hands, and when you come to him mourning over your sin, and when you come to him ready to just submit yourself to his will, he promises a new heart. I mean, how many of you have placed your faith and trust in Christ? You know, just about all of you, if not all of you, right? And, and how many of you can look back on your life and see change? Do you know what happened? It's called a new heart. God is changing your heart. And the, and the more you walk with him and, and, and the more you learn of him, the more of your own sin you're going to see. Somebody described it this way, and I used this illustration before. He said, um, the, closer you, the closer you walk with Jesus, what will happen is this. And the longer you follow him, what you'll experience is kind of what happens with a lamp that you turn on in a dark room. It lights up. That's when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now you take that light, uh, you, you open the blinds, you turn that light on during the day, and it's not as bright in the room, right? Because the light is you know, surrounding it. Then if you take that light bulb, if you're able to, and you hold it in front of the sun, what will it look like? Pretty dark. The closer the light bulb is, is placed before the sun, the darker it looks. It's the same thing with us. The, the longer we walk with Jesus and the closer we, 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 we come to him, the more of your sin you will see. And you know what will happen? The more disgusted with your sin you become. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, why did I do that? Have you, like, do you ever like, ask yourself that? And you pray, Lord, why? I don't know why I do some of the stuff that I do. And, and Jesus actually, in, in stating this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, I believe he's think, he was thinking of Psalm 24, uh, which uh, says this. Let's, let's read this together. Ready? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I believe that's what Jesus was thinking of when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. And this is where we're headed. Like, you, you want to know how you're able to see the face of God? Well, you, you, your sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ, and there's a day coming for all of us who placed our faith and trust in him where we will see the face of God. And, and the encouragement to us as we work our way through the Beatitudes is to live our lives in light of that reality. Live your life in, re, in the reality that one day you will stand before the God of all creation. If you're a Christian, you will stand before him as one who has been redeemed, as a son, as a daughter. One who's experienced great mercy and great grace. One who, who was able to hold on to that promise that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. But live your life in that reality, in the reality that you belong to the God of all creation. And if you're here and you do not belong to the God of all creation, if you've not placed your faith and trust in him yet, you know, before you leave here, I just plead that you do so. You know, you cannot expect to genuinely come to Jesus and, and not have him cleanse your heart. 
you'll never get to the point on this side of eternity where, you're, where, you're, where your struggle with sin is no more. We will struggle with sin until the day we breathe our, our final breath. And you will always, as I will always, be continually frustrated with our own sin. But we're being changed day by day by a power that is not our own. That's why the Bible promises that all who come to faith in Jesus Christ, all who come to the cross, God will give you his Holy Spirit to enable you to live a life that he calls you to live. Which leads me to the second point, and this will be brief, and that is the pursuit of of the pure in heart. What What is the pursuit of those who arrive at the cross with empty hands, who arrive at the cross mourning over their sin, who arrive at the cross willing to to bow to the will of the Father, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What are they pursuing? God. God is life to you. If you're a Christian, God is life to you. He is your everything. All of your joy, all, all your contentment is made to be, to, to, to be experienced in Him, to be rooted in in him. I love the phrase, and I, and I identify as this uh, Christian hedonist. John Piper coined it. Uh, you know, hedonism is the pursuit of joy. Christian hedonism is the pursuit of a joy that's rooted in God, that we were made for joy and, and contentment and a satisfaction that only God can meet. And, and, and that's why the result of the new birth is, is to breathe. You know, to breathe spiritual life. We breathe in God. We want God. He, he is life for us. And we hunger for him. We thirst for him. That's the evidence of new birth. It's not perfect, but it's there. I think some... <laughs> I've been a pastor for a while now. Actually, tomorrow is the anniversary, I think the 31st anniversary of when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know what else tomorrow is? The 20th anniversary of my ordination. I've been a pastor for a while. I've seen there's a spectrum of Christians. I believe genuine Christians I've experienced and and met and had the joy and honor of of being able to shepherd and pastor. A a, a spectrum. (laughs) Some, there's life there. There's a pulse. (laughs) There's some change happening. It's kind of slow. There's change. And then others, you, you can hear their pulse like a mile away. They are on fire for Jesus. And, but, but in that spectrum are people who, who are genuinely, genuinely born again, and there's this life that's happening in them, and their lives are being transformed. Some, it's like a crawl, right? And then others, it's, 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 it's rapid. It's like a, it's like a wildfire through a, through a pine forest. And, and, uh, but it's there. And every single one of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's there. There's life in you. And God is doing this miracle in your life. And, and it's appropriate to ask the same question Paul asked. Why do I do the, the, the good? Why can't I do the thing that I, the, that I want, the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing? Why? Why? And he says, he concludes, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was dying of cancer, he was on his bed, and the story goes that those around him witnessed him do this. He, is, he, he couldn't talk anymore, and he could barely breathe. And, and he opened his Bible to 
2 Corinthians, I believe it was chapter 4. I encourage you to, when you go home, to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. And, and when they asked him, how is he doing? I believe they asked him, you know, how are you doing? And they were trying to talk to him. He, he had his Bible opened and he kept pointing to that chapter in 2 Corinthians. This old man is wasting away. This tent is about to expire. I'm going to see Jesus. And when I do, he didn't say this, but I think the point he was making is, when I do, there will be no more struggle. There will be no more struggle. I will be free. I will be free. And Paul encourages, Just he said in chapter 7, oh, I got, just give me like three more minutes. He's, he said in chapter 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? And, and he said that in chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, he said, in, in verse 1, he said, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he said in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Meaning it's a fight. It's a fight as we wrestle with our sin. There's a guy by the name of John Owen who lived in the 1600s, another guy who had a pretty profound influence upon my life. He wrote a little book called The Mortification of Sin. It's kind of a um, commentary, I guess, if you will, on Romans chapter 8 and some other passages. He said this, and the words will be on the, well, some of the words will be on the screen. He said, the choicest believers who are assured, assuredly free from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify, that's to put to death, to mortify the indwelling power of sin. And he asked the question, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. And then he said these most very often quoted line, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Christian was once a person who ran from his sin, and now he is one who desires to flee from it. That's the difference. It doesn't mean you always are successful, but you don't want it. How many of you don't want to sin? <laughs> yeah, right? That's the evidence of new birth. Like, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin against people I love, and I don't want to sin against the God that, I, I, that, that rescued me and who I love. And, and, you know, it, it's our everything. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'll, t I'll, sh I'll conclude with a story that I read a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> it was about a man who wanted to change his name uh, because <laughs> his, his name on his birth certificate was Gary Matthews. But everybody called him Boomer the Dog. I don't know why they called him Boomer the Dog, but they called him Boomer the Dog. Everybody knew Gary as Boomer the Dog. So for 20 years, he was known by his friends as Boomer the Dog. And so he petitioned a judge, judge, and this is a true story, by the way, Judge Ronald uh, Felino. This is not him. I just wanted to find somebody that looked perplexed. Uh, <laughs> to have... <laughs> Gary wanted his name changed to Boomer the Dog. This is what he said to the judge. I've been known as Boomer the Dog by my friends in the community for, many, for, for more than 20 years. I want to bring my legal name in line with that. So, you know, what was the judge to do? Well, 
the judge um, said no. He said, and here's why. It would probably bring more, it could potentially bring more harm than good to change your name from Gary to Boomer the dog. And then, this is what he, this is what he um, said. Here's an illustration. He said, for example, I could see it going this way. And this is what the judge wrote. Petitioner, that's Gary, petitioner witnesses a serious automobile accident and calls 911. The dispatcher queries as to the caller's identity, and the caller responds, this is Boomer the dog. It is not a stretch to imagine that the telephone dispatcher concluding that the call is a prank and refusing, therefore, to send an emergency medical response, I am denying the petitioner's request. And then he said, although the petitioner apparently wishes it were otherwise, the simple fact remains that he is not a dog. You are either a Christian or you're not. Just because you said a prayer when you're a little kid doesn't mean you're a Christian. You're a Christian because you were poor in spirit. I have nothing. There's no righteousness in of my own being. I need a righteousness that is outside myself. I need Jesus. You come with empty hands. You come with empty hands because you're mourning over your, your sin. If you're a Christian, you came to the cross mourning over your sin. I I am beside myself. The sin that is a problem in my own life, the sin that I see in the world around me, I come to the cross because of the only one who can remedy my problem. And you come, or you came to the cross because you understood my will is not going to get me very far. I need to follow a better way. And that better way is the will of the God of all creation. That's what I did. <clears throat> On July 18th, 1991, I don't know, something in our family, we've got to experience getting our butt kicked by God. Like my dad, a year before me, got his, had his hand cut off. That's how God got his attention. Somebody shared the gospel with my father while I was at home. Shortly after he got home from the hospital, he gave his life to Jesus. A year later, I stepped in front of a car on July 12, 1991, and found myself laying in the middle of Route 1. It's the equivalent of Del Range. And um, pleading that if God would give me another chance, I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. And then when I got to the hospital and found out I was okay, I forgot everything I said to him. <laughs> my dad was sitting on, and, some, and many of you have heard this story, my dad was sitting on the left side of my bed and Kevin, the guy I ride my bike with when we go cycling together, his mom was sitting on the right side of my bed praying for my soul because they both came to faith in Jesus Christ around the same time a year before I was hit by that car. And the youth director of my father's church came in and shared the gospel with me. And I still didn't believe <laughs> I thanked him. And then when I got home, I don't know the exact timing of, my, of when I got home, but it was July 18th in the middle of my living room when I got on my knees. Nobody else was around me. And I didn't have all the theological questions that I had in my brain answered. But I, at that point, was poor in spirit. 
I was at that point mourning over my sin. I was at that point beside myself and willing to submit my life to the will of this God who loved me so much that he, he used a car to knock me on, the, on my butt to get my attention because I needed to hear the greatest news in the universe, and that is that Jesus died on a cross for my sins, a cross that I deserved. Jesus went to that cross on my behalf so that I could be a son of the living God. And the same is true for every single person in this room. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace and what you're doing in our lives. God, you're molding and shaping us. The evidence of that is seen in our lives. It might not be as clear as others, but, but there's life there. There is, a, there is a pulse. There is a heartbeat. There is breath. So God, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that we, that we would not be satisfied with just the pulse. God, that we would just, you would inflame our hearts for you. That when people see our lives, that they would see one who is on fire for you. God, we need revival. We need an awakening in this church, in Cheyenne, in the United States, in every church. We need a move of your spirit in every life of, of those who you have called to yourself through the cross of Jesus. The world so desperately needs that. And so, God, have your way in our lives. We want to be known as those who are pure in spirit because our desire is to see you. We hunger for you and we want to see you. And for all those, Lord, who are here who don't hunger for you yet, God, I just pray for a, an appetite for them. Give them an appetite, a desire to, to know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.